Chats with Larry is a podcast of phone call conversations of me with my best buddy, Larry Keene. Larry is a retired minister and sociology professor, and he has the biggest heart of anyone I know. I'm Rabbi Brian, an ordained rabbi who heads religion outside the box, where I create great spiritual faith religious content for intelligent digital age seekers like you, people of all religious affiliations of none and everyone in between. I decided surreptitiously to record my chats with Larry with the hope that he would later give permission so that you might enjoy listening in. As you can deduce, Larry gave his blessing. Enjoy as we talk about philosophy, religion, sociology, and life. With love, I'm Rabbi Brian. The audio quality on this one, folks, it's not really good, and there's a dog barking throughout the conversation. Sorry. Seven things. One, parable of the vineyard owner and the workers. Two, the divine economy. Three, grace is greater than our needs. Four, putting words in God's mouth. Five, God so loved the world. Six, friend raising. Seven, theology of the cross. All right, Larry Keene, I'm here. You you there? Yeah. So you left me on a cliffhanger last time we were talking. Do you remember that? Yeah, I can try and think about what it was. Um, I can tell you exactly what it was. We were talking. It's about the vineyard owner. It was about the vineyard owner. I'll tell you the story. It's Matthew 20. The vineyard owner hires a guy in the morning, hires a guy in the mid-afternoon, and hires a guy in the evening. And he pays all three the same, even though some worked only the evening, some worked half a day. And he, the people who worked the full day for less objected to it. And he said, well, we had made an agreement and I'm sticking by my agreement. And then that's where the story ends quite abruptly without much explanation. What do you think of that parable? Well, I find it curious. It's not neat. It's not pat. It's um, Does it get to the heart of our understanding of God and his sense of justice. Was that a justice? So okay, 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 okay. I think I got it. So we're saying that when when we look at God and say, hey, dude, it's not fair. I got this and I I wanted to have gotten that. And God turns around and says, look, I'm trying my best. And I hired you under those circumstances, and that's what we had agreed to. Is that what we're looking at? If, if I can put it in this context, if, if what Jesus is doing is trying to clarify his understanding of who God is and what his heart is like. That God is saying, he, hey, I'm just, I'm trying to keep it fair, but I can't uh, be exact. I, let me see if I can respond to it in different words. There are three people who, one is very, very wicked. One is uh, kind of wicked, um, somewhat wicked. And the third one is has lived a really good life and has done some wicked things. So if we change wicked to sin, and God grants each one penitence or forgiveness, in a sense, one is forgiven much, one is forgiven some. Oh, oh, forgiven oh, the payment is the payment of debt, the sin offering. <laughs> And the, the fact that God is is going to give all the same them for their sins, even though they have differed in the amount of sin that they've been engaged in in life. So God doesn't look so much upon how, how long a person's work. He's coming from a place of grace, and the grace will cover everyone the same. 
Right. I got gotcha. you. So what, what would be the lesson for us? Then the lesson for us would be let your response to everyone you meet be wholeheartedly fair. Give them all the heart you have. Give them all the love you have. Give them all the forgiveness you have to give. And you do that the same for those that are very, very hurtful and those that are not very hurtful at all. Don't change how far you go in your gracious response to others just because of who they are or what they, uh, you know, how much they come up to in a harmful way. You just come, you treat them fair. Wait, 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 wait. So you wait and treat them fair. On the surface, it looks like he's preferring one over another, but it's not. It's that he's giving everything that they work for. He's given them a full day's pay, whether they didn't work a full day. It's not picky, picky, pecunious. It's um, it's it's grand. It's grand. It's total. It's it's in the you can't fractionize love. Love is either total or it's nothing. Uh huh. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And while that may look discretionary uh, in the eyes of others, it's not discretionary at all. It's it's total and complete, and no one should find fault with that. Because he gave all that he could give and that he should give. That's what love was called for. That person that worked just a few hours at the end of the day still went home with hungry kids to feed. So he gave him a full day's pay. And no one should be resentful of that. Mm. Even if they've worked more. The mind of God is, the mind of a godly person is, I'm going to give them everything that they need. And I'm not going to show partiality. Their race, their gender, their nationality. That's not going to work to their benefit or detriment. My response to them has to be full hearted, full, complete, and generous. So, so can I, can I try saying it back? Yeah, let me it's try seeing. Not our efforts that merit that merits God's love. So that God loves us all with infinite. I mean, because love is infinite, any love that God gives us is yeah. equal. If it's partial, if He showed him. If he shows partiality, it means that his love is partial. And he can't by nature do that. Neither should we. So we love the beggar as much as we love the saint. Yeah, but I'm not giving I'm not wait I'm not giving the beggar much, right? You're I'm, giving him everything you have. No, I'm not. And that, you ought to. Well, you have to give a beggar as much as you give me. But I, but it, what? No, it's um, it's it's a divine economy. Well, I'm, I don't understand the exchange rate. And, and there is no rate. That's the lesson. There is no rate. There is no There is no formula. It's all or nothing. Yeah, but, but do you think anyone can do that? No, it's a lesson. It's a goal. This is the way. If you want to know how the kingdom operates, that's the way it operates. And are we going to be you know, good vineyard keepers? Because that's what we all are. The story about the master of the vineyard. and. Uh, we're the master of our vineyard. Are, and are we going to be griping that we had to work an extra four, four hours? Dude, that's right. This whole thing, you know, it's about um, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, it's as if he's committed adultery. Well, that doesn't seem to be equal at all. Well, yeah, no. Oh, wait, wait. That doesn't seem fair. Is there a punishment for adultery? Yeah. Is there a punishment for even thinking about adultery? You know, no. there's an old song that goes like wait, this. Wait, 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 wait. Standing on the corner, watching all the girls go by. You remember that song? No. Standing on the corner, watching all the girls go by. 
and it is written earlier in your life. Then the next line is, oh, you can't go to jail for what you're thinking. That's true. On an earthly level, you can't take me to court because I'm lusting after your wife. That's a hell of a way of telling me, buddy. Okay. <laughs> you know, but Jesus says you can't. Wait, if you wait, lust wait. after a woman, you're guilty as if you committed adultery. In what world does that make sense? Not mine, thank you. Yeah, okay. So what Jesus is saying here is can we live up to that? Maybe not, but that's the goal. And that's what he's saying in this parable here. We're back in the vineyards? Yeah. If we go back to the vineyard now, can we operate our vineyard the way God operates his vineyard? Can we do that? Well, maybe we can, but that's what the honorable uh, owner of the vineyard, that's the standard. Wait, wait. Aren't I going to start feeling bad about myself because I can't ever live up to such high expectations? Probably. Probably. That ought to create some humility. What? You ought to feel bad about yourself. What? No! You go away. That's awful. <laughs> I know it. It, it. It's an assault on our airing. To feel bad you about know, myself? You want to know what the kingdom is really about? It's about not lusting. And it's about treating everybody the same when we don't want to. You don't improve the human race by altering the goals or standards. You keep the standards high. Right. That's the only way. That's the way we all have to do. We have to have standards higher than what we know in our soul. We may not. Oh, I like that. I like that very much. We Our standards yeah, have to be yeah, higher. I heard you say the same thing. I don't remember ever concepts. saying that. I love that. That you hold for yourself. Just because doing what you've done with that program, ROTV, just because you had in your mind a vision that none of us could see 10 years ago, you said to yourself, I'm not going to scale down the value of what I have in my mind. Yeah. Even if I'm not there now, I'm going to I'm going to be more of it. And you're still not there yet. But you're killing yourself to reach a standard that you know has the hand of God. And so I just I find that terrible. Just one of the most penetrating ones that Jesus ever spoke. Because not because it's so simple, but because it's so difficult. And yet, so clearly reveals the, the heart and mind of God. Which is love, 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 and then love. And more and more. And and if he doesn't do it on the basis of how good we are or how bad we are, for God so loved the world. Right, right, right. And we just said, and so God gave. And we ended the sentence there. Yeah, that's right. So he gave. Well, one, go back the, to the guy that only worked two hours wasn't arguing. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. Um, he, he was he was probably the most grateful of the whole bunch. And right. one of them tired early in the morning should have been grateful that he had a job. And that God kept his word. And the vineyard owner kept his word. And, you know, I don't believe in a literal heaven, but it doesn't get it doesn't get any higher than heaven. If, if I get in there just by the skin of my teeth, it will still be heaven. Right. But if I have a whole bunch of merits that I'm, that I'm, I'm in with room to spare, I'm, it's still just heaven. And that's the way it is with grace. When grace... There's a song that Virginia sings with a line that says, Grace that is greater than my need. Oh, wow. I like that idea. Greater than my need. That gives me everything that I need. Plus. And more. Yeah. yeah. Plus. You know, there's these gems that just come through. I, mean, I get tearful. I'm sorry. I'm talking about this. It just, there's these par- parabolic gems. 
I don't know where Jesus heard this. I don't know if there's some Old Testament passage that gave him that blew on this, so, because so much of what he did was inspired by that, or whether there's some uh, ancient story that he heard, but this notion of a vineyard owner uh, that treats all the people that he deals with lovingly and fair and just. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, and we ought to be the same. It's a mind of God. And if he's saying, and he's always contrasting with the reign of Caesar, when everything was based upon, it was a meritocracy. Everything was based on merit. Did you work right? Did you work hard? Mm-hmm. Did you accomplish? You know, you know that's, a, that's a very white culture. Everything you oh, boy. about. Amen to that. That is so true. Yeah, we want them on the basis of meritocracy, don't we? We don't want someone getting, uh, what is that thing, um, when you get to go to college and you have it, you're poor. What is that? Affirmative action. We, we make it very clear. We're not an affirmative action guy. It's almost as if you've got, if you've got an affirmative action, your degree is sullied in some way. Yeah, right. It's none of that. It is, uh, you graduate. No one's going to hold your background against you. You know what they call the person? Well, the person yeah. who graduates at the bottom of the class in rabbinical school? Yeah, a rabbi. Um, rabbi. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or a lawyer at law school. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, boy, that's, that's so true. And that's why so much, and I think you found this true in the Hebrew Bible, uh, you read a story, and the Old Testament has so much better stories than the New Testament, far better. But there are parables in the New Testament that are, analogous to the stories that it's just wonderful you read them and say there's no way that that's true it seems absurd and i think we have to fall in love with the absurd and see that there's a god in this oh yeah yeah, yeah. and and that's that's what is it there you know therefore it's yeah you gotta ask and so you just that's why you know borg used to say you've got to see the metaphorical value in sacred literature you have to see that otherwise you can take it all literal. It flattens it out. Well, you know what I never got? I never get anyone saying, oh, oh, when they retold the story of Hercules there, they made this blunder. You know, and nobody ever takes any of those stories of Pandora's box literally. No, isn't that true? They're all the same time. Why are these ones have to be literal? That's right. And, and for instance, here's another thing to chew on. Maybe for another time we can explore things a little further. But if Jesus was free enough to tell parables. Oh, I see where you're going there. That's well, nice. The, son, the Good Samaritan or whatever parable he wants to tell. Why can't we? Why, yeah. why weren't the disciples free to tell parables about Jesus? Right, 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 right. That's great. That's great. It's, you know? I have a, I do a, I do a little routine about that. There's a story of Rabbi Zusia who's dying and his disciples say, Zusia, what are you worried about? God's not going to ask that you were more uh, more wise than Solomon. And Zusia says, I'm not worried about that. And the disciples say, they're not going to say, why Why did you not do the law like Moses? And Zusia says, I'm not worried. God will ask that. And they say, well, what are you worried? And he said, I'm worried that they, God will ask, why were you not more like Zusia? Oh, yeah. And it's a great story. And what I always say at the end of that story is, Nobody has ever in the history of that story being told said, who are they to put words in God's mouth? Who are they to put words in God's mouth? It's just a story. And it's just a story. 
Marcus Gord wrote a book, I don't know if you read it, um, The Bible We Never Do, something like that. And in the pro, in the prelude, he says, the Bible is not the word of God. It is the word of men about God. Right, right, and right. That, that phrase yeah, just that's really it. meant something to me. It's the word of man about and Then all of a sudden, those horrible stories in the Old Testament where God it says, go into such and such a building and kill every man, every yeah. woman, every child, every animal, and burn every house. I was just so offended by that. But when you see that it's the it's it's a word of man about God, you understand who wrote it and why. Absolutely. Then all of a sudden, wow, now I can relate to that because I have a whole tunnel about God, you know? That's been my life. Right. To say, and you too. We have words about God. And some of them may even be true. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I hope a few of them are, anyway. Words about uh, God, and some of them may only be even, true. Even be true. Yeah. <laughs> Words about God, and some of them may even be true. They have other stories. That's great. I love it. That's. Yeah. I read recently, for God so loved the world that he didn't send a book. He mm. sent a person. Oh, I like that, too. And for those of us, like you are a child of the Hebrew Bible and me, a child of the New Testament, primarily, where we're so committed to the book and so many arguments about the book and what the book says or what we think it says. And and I'm not going to abandon the book, but it's when I encounter the person of Jesus that I find myself uh, uh, brought to my knees and I say to myself, I want some of that. I want some of that. Well, you know, that's what I tell people about you all the fucking time. I say, this is, I met Larry and I thought he's the kindest man I know. And I want some of that. I want to be more like that. And you've taught, that's what you've taught me, right? You've just taught me to do that. You said it perfectly. It's the doing. We're we're inspired. I I couldn't You said, you come to life with words. I come to life with music. Music moves me to tears. You hear an idea, and I see tears in your eyes. Yeah. But even more than that, I see a person that has the spirit of God in And that's that's when I'm really touched. You know, words and their meanings will change in time. Yeah. So the person's life just lives on and on. There's no argument against that. You know, you can't argue against St. Francis of Assisi. He, he was and still is who he was. You, you can't argue against the Isaiah, the firebrand, who spoke in a different country. You can't argue against that. What courage he had, what faith he had. Jeremiah, the same way. You can't stand against it because you're going to lose. Well, because it's truth. It's just truth embodied in a person. Life and spirit and action. I remember when I was raising money for Pepperdine, actually two years out, and they paid me a lot of money to raise money. Uh, I made twice what I made as a professor. And uh, I just had to get back to being a teacher. But I remember Kathy saying, Dad, I'm coming into my teenage years and I'm going to need clothes and stuff like that. I said to Kathy, I says, okay, Kathy, I'll keep having my great headache so you can have some dresses. Oh, Dad, I understand. I get it. And she was ashamed of herself. I was a little ashamed that I used that argument, too. But I had to help her to understand where I was, and you didn't know how to do it. 
I think that you have heroes in life, and they speak a truth that nothing else can match, even though you know they were guided by the book of the Bible. Uh, they personified it in their lives. And that's, you know, when I was making money, because my point was, is that you, in order to make money or to, to raise money, you have to make friends. And people don't give to institutions, they give to people. And so the money I raised was because of what people thought about me. And I was just simply the conduit through which they gave to the school. Mm. And so you have to make friends, you know. It's friend raising, not fundraising. And uh, once I learned that, I, I wasn't primarily concerned with um, fundraising. I just wanted to be a friend to everybody. Well, okay. And, uh, you want? I, I got. I got a, a position open for a religion outside the box. Friend raiser. Yeah, yeah. I'll send. I'll, if they want to make a donation. I'll send them to you. All right, I'll work. <laughs> I can really be a friend. For a lot of reasons, but uh, certainly that one. But that's that's your magic too. And it takes a, you know, you, once you once you you're proud of yourself, a spirit of arrogance that doesn't work anymore. So oh, you and I disagree. I got a different pride pride <laughs> threshold than you do. You have magic over. We talked about it yesterday. But they're there because you're. There. Yeah, and, and you know that at an intellectual level. But as soon as you know what you have to discuss, you don't want to focus on it because that takes the luster off of how special you are, Brian. Oh, you see, then you say that and I start to feel awkward. I know, and that's good. Feel awkward because that's what you should feel. But I'm speaking the truth. They adore you. They love you. You're saving them. Uh, We're all saviors. We're meant to be. What they said of Jesus as a savior is true of you and me. We can never rise to the level that we know we ought to be. And so, well, I like so how you said that earlier. You said our standards are above us for a reason. Yeah. That was brilliant, buddy. Yeah, it was. Just, and and that, that restores the humility. And that humility is what binds them to you. Because once you lose that, you're just an arrogant SOB. And that doesn't last long. Yeah, and, uh, I think I got I got a little while to go until I get there. It's a working, and the same with lust, and the same with those vineyard workers. Yeah, they all did different levels of thing. But did that diminish God's response to them? Not a bit. Now, there's this wonderful statement. I forget where it comes from. From Paul, it was while we were in sin that He loved us. That's yeah, yeah, no, that's the theology of the cross. I get that. I know, I know that yeah. spiel. Yeah. And theology of the cross is that it's it's in the places that we are most broken that that's where God the most is. That's that's it exactly. Beautiful. That's a good way to say that. And it's true of us who are leaders too. That in the quiet chambers of our privacy, we need to acknowledge that the last shall be first. And if in some abstract sense we want to be first in the eyes of God, we have to be willing to be servants of all. And that calls for humility. And then how smart we are, how insightful we are. Uh, we're unfinished symphonies. I don't know who said that years ago. Yeah, yeah. So unfinished symphonies. We're all symphonies, but we're not finished. No, no, the, until that last note. Mm-hmm. I, you've heard of Bonhoeffer, who 
was this listening yeah. pastor who joined a group of clergymen trying to bring Hitler down. And uh, he was finally arrested and put in jail. And the jail keepers were so touched by him. He was a magnanimous spirit of God. He was a loving pastor. And the jail keeper was part of a team that was scheduled to execute him on the next day in the firing squad. And he was just crying hard out the bottom. He was sorry he was. He didn't know what to do. He's got that job to do. And then half a dozen others. Seems, seems like a very odd person to be complaining to. Well, he just loved Bonhoeff. Cared for yeah, him but... every day. And <laughs> Bonhoeff was kindly and loving. Okay. The sentence was to take him out and kill him. And Bonhoeffer said, you know, do your job. Do it right. Make sure the fuck the bullet right where it's supposed to be. Um, that, that's a standard. That's why they write stories about people like that because that that's not a normal kind of thing to have. That's not a you know, that's pretty high up there to the goal. And uh, the thing was, everybody up to the very last moment of their breath can shoot, can decide how they're going to go out, and that's the way you want to go out. Honorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. He didn't want to have any malice towards the executioners. They were doing their job. And you can be mean, you can be angry, you can be vindictive, you can be hateful, you can be you can decide to be all those things and I'm not gonna do that. Right. That's when that's and, why they killed him. And that lives on in our our mind. It's inspiration. Yes, it is. When we see the, these politicians shaving their conscience and not doing the right thing, it's just it's detestable. The bile rises in our system. We taste it, and it's awful. We hate to see people living like that. It's just ugly. Well, they couldn't help themselves. Yes, they can. They don't have to have another term in the Senate. They don't have to. Well, they, they but they think to. that they do. They think that that's the, they think that's the war we're up against. Yeah, that's the war. That's the evil we're up against. We all can decide. Yeah, that, well, that just sounds un-American. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. It just shows how far we, even as a country that we love, how far off the mark we are. That's not the kingdom of God that we read about in the in the two testaments. That's not God's reign. And the work is is undone. And we need to remind ourselves of that. I just fail in that on a daily basis, taking my off eye off right, you know, the compromise of my response. And I think, oh, that's awful. I didn't need to do that. I decided to do that. You, ch- you chastise yourself. I do. I, you know, the, the, the flagellating that the Catholics did, literally, was to help them do that spiritually. They didn't need to do it that way, but they felt that they needed to. They, they caused their body so much pain because their soul was aching. And they thought they could purge their evil thoughts by beating their body. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people who beat themselves up in their heads. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to practice conscious reconstruction. Yeah, kindness. Yeah, define it. And people like your wife are working on that professionally. He's trying to redefine what you're dealing with, he'll say to people, you know? Redefine that. See if you don't come up with a different conclusion. The definitions you're giving are wrong. They need to reconstruct that, Mm -hmm. you know? There's a phrase, right-mindedness. I don't know whether that's Middle Eastern thought or the psychological therapy, but it's really helpful that sometimes we're screwed up in our mind, like you said a moment ago. 
I say that. I apologize. We're just not thinking right, you know. Oh, that's the article that's going out tomorrow. Tomorrow is all about thinking and how we tend to think that other people's thinking, especially if we're married to them, isn't good thinking. <laughs> right. Well, that's so true. It's easy. You know, if you've been married 60 years or so or more, it's amazing how couples start thinking a lot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> thinking right. Thinking like each other. That's what you'd expect, of course. Well, thank you Dear man, me. I'm going to get going as well. I appreciate our that time. That was a wonderful lesson. I needed to learn that too. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you for preaching, you. preacher man. I love you. I love you too. Okay. Bye-bye. That was this week's episode of Chats with Larry. Please, before you listen to another episode or do something else, think about two friends who might enjoy listening to this and send them a text or email right now. Tell them to listen to Chats with Larry. Thanks to Steve Koch, my producer. There will be another episode next week. And thanks to all of you who donate and support to Religion Outside the Box. Religion Outside the Box can be found at ROTB.org. On the website, you can sign up for the 77% weekly, my spiritual religious faith message delivered to your inbox 40 out of 52 weeks a year. You can shop at the Etsy store for great religious spiritual faith creations. Learn more about the Saturday service and stop on by some Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streamed dog free religious service open to everyone. And a special thanks to Virginia Keene and as always to my BFF, Larry Keene. I love you, buddy.